hope, Arkansas. Even in the inevitable moments when all seems hopeless, men know that without hope they cannot really live, and in antagonizing desperation, they cry for the bread of hope. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Philip found Nathaniel and he told him, We have found the exact person that Moses and the other prophets predicted. His name is Jesus, son of Joseph. He is from Nazareth. Nazareth, scoffed Nathaniel. The Messiah is from Nazareth. You can't be serious. But Philip was resolute. Come, see for yourself, he said. From John 1, 45-46. And his name will be called the hope of all the world. From Matthew 12, 21. Little places I've never heard of. That's the way I think of small towns. I grew up in a small town, not very small, but small enough, and I've always wanted to move to the city. The city wasn't all that far. Over 12 million people live within 200 miles of the town where I grew up. But still, the small town feeling of everything got to me. The town I grew up in was a college town. Now, anybody from a college town instantly knows what I'm talking about. There are lots of universities across the country in all kinds of places, but a large one in a small place is what makes for a college town. It's when you live in a little municipality with 50 coffee shops where you can get burritos from dozens of places at 3 a.m. It's where summer is a time when your small town becomes a go. The other thing about a small town is that people don't generally leave. I have over 50 close relatives in that small town. Most of them hardly ever leave. Most of them have never gone to college, even though the town is dominated by a university. Maybe it's because of the resentment towards the state college that our parents drilled into us. Of nearly 20 first cousins, I was the first to graduate from college, and there's only two of us who have a four-year degree. But you don't need a degree in a small town. You just get a job. Buying a house isn't too expensive. You aren't planning on leaving. Speaking of leaving, many people I grew up with have never flown out of the state, let alone the country. This is true, even though they live within 200 miles of four international airports. I've been to a lot of small towns in my life. Once in Colorado, I was speaking at three churches in one weekend in the northeastern corner. My directions to all three churches were, the church is on the right of the highway. You'll see it. I once drove four and a half hours to speak at a church in a town of 500 people in the redwoods of Northern California. The main industry was sea urchin harvesting. There were 15 people there for the Sunday morning service. I drove five hours to the church that night at another small community. When I arrived, the pastor said, well, you and I are here. We'll see if anyone else... There may be a lot of small towns in rural California, but in the south of the United States, there is the epicenter of the small town. Country songs are written about southern small towns. Movies about small towns are usually set in the south, and in the south is where people mistrust big cities more than anywhere else. They have big cities, they just don't like them. Famous people don't come from small towns. Nothing important comes from small towns. At least that's what city folk think. But every once in a while, hail to the chief of nowhere. I was driving through Arkansas one time on Interstate 30 when the biggest road sign I had ever seen came into view. It said these words, Hope, Arkansas, birthplace of President Clinton. I wasn't sure at first why the sign struck me like it did. It seemed so ironic, but then it hit me. The fact that the former most powerful man in the world came from this little blip on the map, this place to stop and pee on a long trip, was amazing indeed. 
Hope, Arkansas, a small and significant town in a small and significant state. At least that's what most people must have thought when they first heard the story of President Bill Clinton's place of birth. When, during a debate, Bill Clinton was asked what his qualifications to be president were, he responded that he was governor of the state of Arkansas. Another candidate in the debate quipped, just because someone runs the corner store doesn't mean you put them in charge of Walmart. Pretty funny, unless you're from Arkansas. Then not so much. Especially because Walmart is, ironically, based in Little Rock, Arkansas. Hope. Not a bad name for a place. I don't know who named Hope Hope, but it's a good name for a place. A lot of places in America get their name from their heritage. Cheyenne, Wyoming was named after a Native American tribe. New Orleans was named after the original French city of Orleans. Most of the cities and towns in California where I come from have Spanish names that they got from their colonial inhabitants. Sometimes people name places for specific reasons. Boulder, Colorado, where I lived for two years after college, was named after the incredibly huge rock formations on the mountainside that shoot up out of the ground, almost impossibly. City of Industry in Southern California is a concrete jungle of warehouses and railroad tracks in the heart of Los Angeles. And it was named for, well, obvious reasons. Truth or Consequences, New Mexico renamed its city after a game show on TV. Yeah, that's true. I don't know why someone named Hope Hope, but it had to be a very optimistic person. That a small town in Arkansas could symbolize hope is really kind of a long shot. But the leader of the free world for a time did come from there. Regardless of your feelings about any particular president, that's not too bad. Don't think that the teachers of every class in every grade in every school in Hope, Arkansas aren't telling their students that any one of them could grow up to be president. Regardless of how poor they are, regardless of the fact that they have that distinct Arkansan accent, and regardless of the fact that their town is a little unkept shelf in a corner store in a world of Walmarts, they tell them, you can be president. It already happened. At least you, enter. I've often had the regular opportunity to train students in the art of communicating the gospel in the style and using the methods of Jesus. And in doing so, I've often begun with a question. What does Jesus use as an illustration more often than any other subject? Blank stares usually result and minds churn, trying to find a complex answer to a simple question. Farming. I finally say as looks of, oh, I knew that, but I thought you were looking for something more spiritual, usually spread across the room. Jesus talked a lot about farming. Have you ever thought about why? Well, that answer too is amazingly simple. Jesus was from Nazareth. Nazareth, Hicktown. Funny accents, middle of nowhere. The industries were limited, farming and fishing. Nazareth, a little farming community near a lake in the middle of nowhere in a small problematic province of the vast Roman Empire. The Black Sheep. The Roman Empire of Jesus' day was actually quite civilized and cosmopolitan. Education was commonplace. Literature, law, and philosophy were prevalent. The Roman Empire was the birth of Western civilization as we know it. Running water, democracy, and paved highways were made popular by the Romans. There were, of course, famous military heroes. But socialites, actors, musicians, and philosophers were also the celebrities of the Greco-Roman society. And most of the small countries conquered by Rome. The culture of the day changed little from place to place in your average Roman province. Unless you were Jewish. In a society where culture and religion were deeply infused, having the wrong religion 
made it quite difficult to fit in. Most parties, business transactions, and other staples of social life revolved around religion. If you were Jewish, you couldn't participate in the most important parts of Roman society. The pagan religion of Rome was sort of a catch-all. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of gods were worshipped. Not so much worshipped, but appeased. In an effort to avoid natural disasters, overcome infertility, bring wealth, and just about anything else you could think of. Name a situation, and there was a god for it. Making matters worse for the Jews, many of the religious rites involved prostitution, wild orgies, alcohol abuse, and other extremely lewd behavior, even by today's standards. All of this made the little Roman province of Israel, where the religious rituals weren't practiced, stick out a little. Well, actually, quite a bit. The fact that Israel didn't fit into the Roman Empire very well was obvious to everyone. Add to the situation that the Jews were constantly revolting because they didn't want to fit in, and you have the rest of the known world looking down on Israel in a pretty big way. It was bad enough to be Jewish, but Jesus was from the Galilean countryside. Most of his ministry was traveling from small town to small town, usually on foot, sometimes in a boat. He traveled to Jerusalem just a few times that we know of, and when he did, they knew he was from the sticks by his accent. Apparently, even those who lived in the Galilean area weren't too impressed with the small village of Nazareth. One of Jesus' own future disciples, Nathaniel, thinks it must be a joke when he hears about this possible Messiah being a Nazarene. When Philip attempts to get his close friend to come to meet Jesus and identifies him as the son of Joseph from Nazareth, Nathaniel's response is a sarcastic one. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? From a lowly little farming town in a backwoods little part of an out-of-touch Roman province comes the Messiah. It's about as likely as the leader of the free world coming from a little town in a little southern state where even other southerners make fun of their accent. Believe me, they do. Maybe they should have named Nazareth Hope Israel because it really is amazing that hope came from such a place. No hometown hero. It's no wonder that Jesus wasn't really all that impressed with the rich and powerful. Country folks seldom are. Small town people don't care much about what's in and what's out. They don't usually revere the rich and powerful. They aren't usually too concerned with the comings and goings of celebrities. They seem more interested in the normal people, the people who cut their hair and fix their cars. Jesus always walked right past the important people to find the little people who didn't matter to anyone else. I think that's why he spent so little time in Jerusalem. He didn't care about the politicians. He wasn't interested in what the religious people thought of him. It's probably why they didn't trust him. It might even be why the important people had him killed. The Messiah was supposed to be like them, not a hick from the sticks. It just didn't make sense. It was the cosmopolitan citizens of Jerusalem that called out for his crucifixion. But ironically, Jesus didn't fare much better in his hometown either. Mark chapter 6 tells the story. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They asked, where did he get all his wisdom and the power to perform miracles? He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. All of his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. 
And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their unbelief. I guess that's part of the rub of being from a small town where people aren't too impressed with importance. Sometimes they miss the important when it really is important. Jerusalemites might not have been impressed with Jesus' pedigree, but Nazarenes weren't too impressed that so many people were impressed with Jesus. Jesus' family and former peers just couldn't handle Jesus' new status, and they thought that maybe it was time to knock him down a few notches. He was a construction worker, after all. The crowds might have been in awe of him, but not his hometown. There would be no hero's return. Jesus, they reasoned, was a normal guy from a small town in the Judean countryside. It was the same thing the rest of the Roman Empire thought. But the political strategists were wrong. The President of the United States can come from Hope, Arkansas. And the Savior of the world can come from a little town in Galilee named Nazareth. From the most unlikely places, hope springs eternal. Like you, I want my life to count. I'm just the middle son of an electrician from a small college town in the middle of nowhere. No one ever expected too much from me. Maybe they never even noticed me enough to expect anything. I don't know. But every time I think of Jesus' humble beginnings as a Nazarene, I think that maybe I could be something. Maybe I could leave a mark and change the world for the better. It can happen. Just ask any fourth grader from a little town off Interstate 30. At Hope Elementary School, they teach it all the time. Everything you know about Jesus is wrong. Have you ever thought about how Jesus was a blue-collar, small-town guy with a rural accent? The most important person in history wasn't a lawyer or a politician or an actor. He was a construction worker. He didn't grow up in Rome, Athens, or even Jerusalem. He grew up in Nazareth. He was born in a stable to poor parents. He traveled by foot, not private jet. In a world of celebrity preachers, or preachers who want to become famous but find fame elusive, Jesus did everything he could to avoid celebrity while maintaining his impact. Change how you think about Jesus. Jesus was a hick from the sticks, but he changed the world. He said his followers would do greater things than he did. What amazing things is he calling you to do? Challenge your assumptions. In what ways do you disqualify yourself as not good enough or not having the right background? Choose to live differently. What if you lived with the humble confidence that God uses all kinds of people from all kinds of places? How would you live differently? 